The scripture reading today is from Genesis 21, verses 1 through 8. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the very time God had promised. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. Good morning. Let's pray, shall we? Thank you, Lord, that we can be here this morning as your people and seek your face, worship you, and hear from you. And Lord, we ask you to show up this morning in a powerful way. Open our hearts, change us, Lord. Help us have our ears open to hear from you. And especially, the Lord, for those who are hurting this morning, who are broken, who are distressed, may they know your presence. May you show up for them today. Through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when our first child was on the way, and we were waiting for Josh to be born, Josh, who's now on staff here at Cole. Like a lot of expectant first parents, you know, we were thinking, hey, of course the baby will come early, right? (laughs) So we were ready, and then the due date came. No baby. A week went by. No baby. Another week went by. No baby. Well into the third week. Finally, there were complications. We rushed at 3 a.m. in the morning to the hospital. And after 30 hours of induced labor, still no baby. Finally, they rushed Jeannie out, did an emergency C-section. And after all that waiting, finally we had the joy of holding our son. And you know, though we waited what seemed like an eternity. Yet we forgot about the waiting at the joy of holding our newborn son. But imagine being like Sarah. (laughs) At 65 years, you're well past childbearing age in a culture in which the value of women is dependent on being able to have children. She had had none. 65, and the Lord comes to you and says, you will have a child someday. So you're excited. God has promised, I will have a son. I will have a child. And you wait, and you wait, and you wait. 24 years later, God shows up again and says, a year from now, you will be holding your newborn son. By now, she's 89 
She's continuing to wait. But as we saw in the passage that was just read, God fulfilled his promise and she had the joy of holding her newborn son at age 90. And Abraham was 100 years old. Now you might think at that point, boy God, it's about time. But you know what? I don't think she said that. I think there was such joy at holding her son that she was thrilled. And in fact, as what we see what she did in this passage, she laughed in joy. The joy that God had shown up and fulfilled his promise. Have you noticed that in life, a lot of us can relate to Sarah in the sense that God often makes us wait for long periods of time. And he's made promises to care for us. He's made promises to provide for us. He's made all kinds of promises to us. But it turns out that much of the Christian life is just waiting, living life, seeking to trust God, walking through life, and longing and waiting for him to show up, to intervene. That God has placed us in a place where much of the Christian life is waiting Waiting upon Him. Waiting for God to intervene in our families, in our work, in our joblessness, in our marriages. Waiting for God to intervene in changing our own hearts to deal with the sin in our own lives. Waiting for God to act. But when God does finally step in, when he finally shows up, what can we expect? How does God show himself? Well, that's what I want to look at this morning in this passage, this wonderful passage, delightful passage in chapter 21 of Genesis. What happens when God shows up? First of all, we see that when God shows up, he keeps his promises. When God shows up, he keeps his promises. Verses 1 through 8, which was just read, what Greg just read. Notice in verse 1 of chapter 21, it says this, Then the Lord, Yahweh, took note of Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. Translation of the NIV is, He was gracious. Then the Lord was gracious to Sarah. But that word, I think, I want to unpack that a little bit. The Hebrew word behind took note and was gracious. The Hebrew word pakad is one that means to visit for, for God to, to ultimately, my paraphrase, to show up. It's used in a number of places in the Old Testament. It's used in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5. It says God will show up in judgment. In 1 Samuel 2, verse 21, it said... Hannah was waiting for a child, and God showed up, and she conceived and gave birth to several children. In Ruth chapter 1, verse 6, the people were under a terrible famine, and it says that God showed up, and the famine ended. In Jeremiah 29, verse 10, the people are in exile, and it says God promises to show up. And bring the people home. So are you getting a feel for what this word means? This word pakad, this word 
to show up. When, when God shows up, amazing things happen. When God shows up, He intervenes in our lives in ways that are clearly miraculous. That He is intervening in amazing ways so that He ultimately gets the glory. Mighty things happen when God shows up. He reveals who He really is. And no one can doubt that God has shown up. That's what's behind this word. And we see that for Sarah. God showed up. And He fulfilled His promise and she conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. And so she's finally holding her newborn son. And Abraham does exactly as God told him. God had said, when you have a son, back in chapter 17, name him Isaac, which means he laughs. Now, if you remember back in chapter 17, both Abraham and Sarah had laughed at God when he said, you will soon be holding a son. They laughed. Yeah, right. In a year? Sure. <laughs> and so God said, name him, he laughs. <laughs> so that when he's finally born, they do laugh. But they're reminded by his name of their unbelief, but also how God keeps his promises, even when we doubt, so that we can laugh and enjoy when God shows up. What are the promises God makes to us? God made a promise to them to have a son. And God made many promises to Abraham to bless him and to make him a blessing. Well, there's many promises we have as well. That God is going to care for us. That he'll meet our needs. That he'll never leave us or forsake us. That he'll shepherd us. That he'll give us hope. That he'll love us. That he'll never take his love away. That we are in his hand. Nothing can snatch us out of his hand. And we could go on and on and on all morning about the promises God has made to us. But sometimes we have to wait, right? But when God shows up, how should we respond? I think like they did. They laugh. <laughs> and we see that Abraham throws a party. The child grew and was weaned, so by this time he's about age two or three. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. They through a great party. You see, we don't really understand because we don't live in that kind of culture, but this was such a delight to them. And infant mortality rates were incredibly high. Very few children made it through the birth and made it to the weaning time. And by the time they were weaned, age two or three, it was a time for incredible celebration because this kid's probably going to make it. And so they threw a party. And I like the way Sarah puts it in verse 7. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I've given, given him a son in his old age. I think what she's saying there is, can you imagine I'm 90 years old? And Abraham was out in the waiting room and they brought him the news. Guess what, Abe? Sarah is holding and nursing your son. Who would have thunk it? <laughs> Amazing. So she's laughing. And there's great joy. When God shows up and fulfills His promises, though, notice something. He does it so that He's bringing life out of death. You see, Sarah's womb was as good as dead, the Scripture says. I mean, it was beyond being able to bear. 
and yet God brings life out of death. And have you noticed that in your own life? How God often waits till the last second to fulfill his promises? He loves 11th hour rescues, right? Last second, you're, you're out of work and you're out of unemployment and you're wondering, where are you, God, in the last second? Or what seems beyond the last second? <laughs> he shows up. How many of you experience that? I think we all do if you walk with God very long, that he tends to wait and wait and make us wait. Why does he do that? Do that? Well, I think ultimately because that way he gets the glory, right? It's nothing we did. It's him coming through. But I think he also does that because that's the only way our faith can really grow. Think about your muscles. If you, like to, if you work out, if you want to get stronger, what do you have to do? You have to stress those muscles. You have to stretch them to the breaking point and even beyond what you think you can endure for those muscles to be stressed and get stronger. Faith is exactly the same way. God stresses us to the point that beyond what we think we can endure, God, where are you? When are you going to intervene? Will you come through? Beyond that point, and then as we keep hanging on to him, he comes through at the right moment, and our faith gets stronger for the rest of our lives. That's God's plan, and I think that's why he waits to the last minute, so that he'll get the glory. Again, my son Josh, his wife Grace, who's in the hospital with an appendectomy, they were waiting to buy a house, and they waited months and months and it was a short sale, so they never knew what would come through. And they were told right at the beginning, they said, hey, this doesn't go through by October 1st. You won't get the house. It'll go up to auction. Well, naturally, when was it finally cleared? 4.45 in the afternoon on September 30th. Finally got the okay. Yes, the house is yours. Isn't that interesting? That's the way God so often works. And how should we respond when God finally does show up and keep his promises? Throw a party. <laughs> Throw a party. Laugh. Celebrate. God has come through. And I think we ought to also ought to spread the word. We ought to tell everybody. Over and over in the Psalms, the psalmists say, hey, God bless me. And I want everybody to know. Psalm 116, verse 12, psalmist writes, What shall I render to the Lord for his benefits toward me? I shall lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of all his people. I want everybody to know God has come through. So, do you use Facebook? Let people know what God's done. Do you use Twitter? Let God... Let people know what God has done for you. Let people know. Celebrate. Throw a party. Invite your friends. When God shows up, he keeps his promises. Secondly, as the passage goes on, we see when God shows up, he brings life, or excuse me, he guides the confused. He guides the confused. Notice verse 9. They're celebrating, they've got this new child, it's exciting. And then in verse 9, Now Sarah saw that the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, mocking. She saw him mocking and literally laughing. 
making fun of Isaac, the new baby. Now remember who this son is of Hagar. This is Ishmael. He's now 16 to 17 years old. And remember how he came about? Sarah said, I don't know if I'm ever going to have a son, so Abraham, why don't you sleep with our slave maiden, Hagar? Well, that didn't work out so well, but Abraham did what Sarah said, slept with her. Ishmael was born. There was conflict between Sarah and Hagar. Sarah's mad, but Hagar goes back. And so Abraham raises his son Ishmael. And now this Ishmael, 16 to 17, is older. He's mocking the child of promise, Isaac. Well, Sarah now has a son. She's not happy about it. She's a mother bear protecting her son. Therefore, verse 10, she said to Abraham, drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. Get rid of him. Verse 11, the matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. So Abraham is upset now. He doesn't sure what to do. I think he's very confused. That word distressed in verse 11 is a word that is often used to be angry, kind of out of control. He is so upset. It says because of his son. Why is he so upset? Well, for one, his son Ishmael is one that he loves. He's raised him for these 16, 17 years and Yes, he's not the child of promise, but he still cares for Ishmael and he loves him. But secondly, I think he's very upset because Sarah's telling him to do something to get rid of these two. And when he listened to Sarah last time, it didn't work out so well. And Abraham's upset. It's like, what am I going to do? This woman. Last time she told me to sleep with Hagar and that didn't end up well. Now she's telling me to send them away, and that doesn't sound like a good plan to me. Logic and emotion for Abraham at that point would tell him to ignore his wife. Don't listen to Sarah. But guess what? God shows up in his confusion as he's struggling with what to do. Verse 12, But God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her, for through Isaac your descendants shall be named. And of the son of the maid, I will make a nation also, because he is your seed, your descendant, your seed. God shows up. God shows up in Abraham's confusion. Though for him logically, maybe for us logically, it doesn't make sense, God shows up to guide him because God has a bigger plan that we don't see. And if you wait on God when you're confused and listen and say, Lord, speak to me, tell me what to do because I'm really confused here, God will show up. Again, in his timing and in his way, but he will show up. You can count on it. Now, just a comment about listening to your wife. Should we listen to our wives? Hmm. (laughs) Ben says, absolutely, you better. (laughs) I think whether you're a husband or you're a wife, yeah, we listen to one another, but we check it out with the Lord. Lord, is this your will? You see, we always put the Lord's will first. Last time, Abraham didn't check check in with the Lord. Is this the right thing to do? This time he did. 
And God made it clear he should listen to the voice of his wife. And how does Abraham respond? Notice verse 14. He obeys. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar, putting them on her shoulder, gave her the boy and sent her away. And she departed and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. That must have been heartbreaking for Abraham to send his son away. And yet God had told him to. And so he did. When God does guide, when God does tell you what to do, don't second guess it. Just do it. A few years back, a number of us got together and we formed a team to plan a trip to Thailand. We were going to do a short-term missions trip. And we went through all the training. We were all organized. And there was another man who was a co-leader with me. We were all set to make this trip happen. And it got right up to the deadline. And, and you know, this almost never happens in this church. There's always provision for these short-term trips. But we got right up to the deadline of buying tickets. And we didn't have quite enough money. And we could have made it happen. But we just sensed as we prayed about it that God was saying, No, don't go. And I was struggling with it. It didn't make any sense to me. God, why in the world are you saying no? We've done all this training. We're all set. The ministry's set up. What, what in the world is going on? What's the plan? But we canceled the trip because we just sensed God was saying no. Within two weeks, the co-leader that I was supposed to go with was caught in immorality. Everything blew up. It would have been terrible if we'd bought our tickets and were already planning to go. It would have been a mess. I didn't understand why God was saying no. But God knew. God had a bigger plan. God shows up and guides the confused. So keep looking to him and wait for his guidance. Third, when God shows up, he cares for the broken. He cares for the broken. It's a wonderful, touching story here, I think, as you see God caring for Hagar and Ishmael, her son. The end of verse 14 again, and she departed Hagar and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. She was lost. That's what it means, wandered about. She didn't know where to go. She heads for the desert. She's out there, just she and the boy, Ishmael. Verse 15, when the water in the skin was used up, she left the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him about a bow shot away. For she said, do not let me see the boy die. And she sat opposite him and lifted up her voice and wept. God heard the lad crying and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what's the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So here's Hagar, Ishmael, rejected by Abraham and Sarah. They were clearly not of the promise. You see, Isaac was the chosen one through whom God was going to keep the promises, the seed through whom eventually Christ would come. Ishmael was not. He was excluded. And incidentally, this conflict between Ishmael and Isaac goes on today, right? Between the Arabs and the Jews. It began here with 
Ishmael mocking, and there's still conflict. But in the midst of this, where both Hagar and Ishmael are ready to die, it's a very powerful verse where it says, and God heard. Verse 17, God heard the lad crying. Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad. Ishmael, do you remember what Ishmael means? His name is absent from this whole text conspicuously absent. They just call him the lad, the boy. That's partly because he's excluded. He's not part of the promised line. But it's also meant for us to perk up at this verse because what does Ishmael mean? God hears. God hears. And in their weeping, God hears. And God shows up. Why? Because, see, God has a compassionate heart for the broken. And God shows up for those who are hurting, who are distressed, who are broken, broken. So whatever you are going through, whatever wilderness you are in, whatever you're struggling with, you can be assured that God hears when we cry out to him. He is listening. He has a plan for you. Again, he will care for you, but in his way and in his timing, not in yours, but in his. He has a greater plan. So keep crying out to him. Keep seeking him. Notice he did not take them out of the wilderness. But Lord, I want to get out of this wilderness. No, he did not take them out of the wilderness, but he gave them exactly what they needed in the wilderness so they could flourish. Hagar looks up, and there's a well. She didn't see it before. Apparently, it was there all the time. She didn't see it, but God opened her eyes, and there was a well, so she had the nourishment, provision, the water she needed. And then as the, as the passage goes on, it says in verse 20, God was with the lad, and he grew. And he lived in the wilderness and became an archer. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. God provided not only water and sustenance, but God was with Ishmael. Oh, but he's rejected. He's excluded. No. You may feel rejected. You may feel that God's not on your side because he's put you in a wilderness. But let me assure you, he is with you, and he will show up as you cry out to him. Again, he may not take you out of the wilderness, but he'll provide everything you need right there. Notice he provided not only the water, but he provided family, and he provided skill to be able to endure in the wilderness. He became an archer, it says. And God will provide for you the skill, whatever you need to flourish, even in the wilderness. Keep crying out to him, keep seeking him, and ask him to open your eyes to his provision. You may be feeling like, God, where are you? Aren't you going to come through? And maybe his provision is right in front of you, like the well was for Hagar. Maybe you just need your eyes opened to what he's already provided. So let me encourage you to ask God to open your eyes to his provision. It may be right in front of you, you might just be missing it. 
Finally, in this passage, fourth, when God shows up, he gives hope to those who are waiting. He gives hope to those who are waiting. The end of the passage just seems kind of out of place a little bit. It's a story about how Abimelech, the king of Gerar, the uh, Philistine king, and Abraham make a covenant. Abimelech comes to Abraham and sees how he's flourishing, how God's on his side, and says, hey, can we make a covenant, a non-aggression pact? Promise we'll get rid of our weapons of mass destruction. You know, we're, let's, let's make sure that, you know, we don't have any aggression here. And so Abraham says, okay. But some of their herdsmen are quarreling over some water, over a well. So Abraham comes and they make a pact there, another covenant, to say, okay, Abraham says, I'll give you seven ewe lambs and and this is proof that this is the well that I dug, and so it's my well to use, so we won't quarrel over it. And then at the end of the section, it says, verse 31, Therefore he called that place Beersheba, because there the two of them took an oath. Beersheba means well of seven, or well of oath. It can be either one. Beersheba. So they made a covenant at Beersheba, and Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, arose and returned to the land of the Philistines. And there Abraham planted a tamarisk tree at Beersheba. And there he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned in the land of the Philistines for many days. What's the point of this story? Why is this even here? You see, God had made a promise to Abraham, didn't he? He made a promise that... I will bless you, I will make you a blessing, and I will give you a seed, a descendant, and make a great nation of you. And he also promised that he would give him the land, the promised land. Well, God has already started to fulfill the seed, right? He's got a descendant now. He's got Isaac, a child of promise. But here in this passage, we see for the first time Abraham getting a foothold in the land that God had promised him. At Beersheba, the very southernmost tip of Israel, became the entrance to the land from the south. At this place, Abraham gets ownership of a well and plants a tree, a sign of permanence, a sign of ownership, a sign of dwelling. You see, God's given him just a foothold in the land as a foretaste of the promise that's to come, which is the land of Israel that he would give to all his descendants over 500 years later. Over 500 years later. Notice that God often does that. He may not give us the full banquet, but he gives us enough to hope. He gives us a foretaste of what's to come. We don't get the full banquet here, folks. I'm sorry we don't. But we get a foretaste of the promises of God that we are destined for. Romans 8 describes this this way. Romans 8, beginning in verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Sounds like Sarah, huh? Groaning. All of creation groans the pains of childbirth. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit... Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Even we groan. We're in labor, waiting 
to give birth. Verse 24, for in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he already has. God gives us his spirit and says, this is just a foretaste of the life I'm going to give you with me forever. So he does that. He gives us a foretaste. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. So when God shows up, he gives hope to those who are waiting. You may have to wait longer, but he gives you enough to sustain you and keep your hope alive. So cling to the hope he gives you, that he loves you, and he has so much more in mind for you. Now, as we wrap up, I just want to ask a question that I think is significant as we look at these promises to Abraham, to, that God would bless him and that he would make him a bless him, blessing and that he would give him a seed, descendants, and that he would give him the land. The question is, how do these promises apply to us? Do they apply to us at all? I mean, they were made to Abraham nearly 4,000 years ago. How do they apply to us? Do they or do they not? Well, let's look at the promise of the seed. In Galatians chapter 3, as you think about the New Testament, how does the New Testament view these promises to Abraham? Well, in chapter 3, Galatians, it says this, starting in verse 16. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He doesn't say and to seeds as referring to many descendants, but rather to one and to your seed. That is Christ. He goes on to explain that the real fulfillment of the promise to Abraham that he would have a seed in which blessing would come to all the nations. The fulfillment of that is in Christ. He is the seed. All of history pointed toward the birth of Jesus, him coming and living and dying for us. So all the promises of Abraham are fulfilled in him. But then notice as the passage goes on, verse 29 of Galatians 3, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to promise. Do you get what he's saying there? (laughs) That the seed is Christ, but if you believe in Christ, then you are placed into Christ and you become the seed of Abraham and all the promises you become heirs to. The promises that God will bless you and make you a blessing and multiply your descendants and your impact to make you a blessing in the world. Those promises apply to us if we are in Christ. Well, how about the promise of the land? that they would dwell in the land. How does the New Testament deal with that question? Well, it's interesting as you study the promise of a physical place like the nation Israel is not repeated to the people of God in the New Testament. It's not. But there are many promises and a lot of teaching about our inheritance, which is the parallel. What is our inheritance? The promised land was Abraham's inheritance. What is our inheritance? Well, in the New Testament, it talks about our inheritance being Christ-likeness. It talks about our heavenly inheritance. Or excuse me, chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead 
to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. And in fact, if you look in Hebrews chapter 11, it even says there that Abraham ultimately was not looking for a physical land on earth. Even Abraham was looking for a heavenly city. By faith, Abraham, this is verse 8 of Hebrews 11, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Verse 16, but as it is, they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Even Abraham understood some great spiritual truth. That what we're looking for, our promise, the land is not a physical land. It's the new heavens and new earth. It's the heavenly Jerusalem coming down out of heaven where we will dwell forever. We get foretastes of it now as God changes our hearts and makes us like Christ. But ultimately, our inheritance, the promise that we are looking for, the promised land is our heavenly home with him forever. As described in Revelation chapter 21. Folks, much of life is learning to walk with God and trust him and waiting. Waiting for God to show up waiting for him to intervene. And often we can't see how he's working, so we wait. But once in a while, God shows up, and you know it's him. And God clearly reveals his glory when he does so. What can we expect at those times? We can expect that he'll keep his promises. We can expect that he'll guide us when we're confused. We can expect that he will comfort and care for the broken and we can expect that he will give us hope as we wait so keep waiting on him be faithful keep obeying what he shows you to do and know that at the right time God will show up let's pray thank you for your great promises to us Lord that we are inheritors of the promises to Abraham. So we ask that you would intervene in our lives in your timing and in the meantime, help us to trust you, to wait on you so that you would get the glory and that our faith would grow. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.